0: If you can be yourself and not feel that you have to measure up to some image of somebody else who has of you, I think that's liberating. It's very liberating and it frees up a lot of energy for you to do other things.
1: So welcome to Outliers, Uh, Outliers season three, actually. And uh, we're sitting down with uh, retired wing commander, Rakesh Sharma. (laughs) Uh, I was asking him before I started this recording, how does he describe himself? And, you know, I I can tell you how, how, you know, it's like a legend uh, that we grew up with uh, when we were studying in schools you know, man in space, and and so on. But a few weeks ago, I was having a conversation with someone, and uh, Madan Padki, actually. And Madan uh, mentioned uh, his chat with you, where you talked about the experience of being in space, and how you found it so difficult to recover from it, that you still feel so small. Uh, I, I would save that for later, no I mean, but uh, Rakesh, where do you come from? Give me a sense of who are you, uh, what are the roots?
0: Well, I think uh, uh, I am truly an Indian and I say that because my uh, parents were born and brought up in Pakistan. I was born just after partition. And I was born in Patiala. all my relatives are up north, but I was raised in Hyderabad. And as part of the Indian Air Force, I have served all over from, from Gujarat to Assam and down south, so I'm from all over. And uh, I, I don't like to label myself as belonging to one state or the other. Indeed, <laughs> I have difficulty in uh, in uh, I would say uh, putting a na- even a nationality on, on myself, and that is not to that is not to I would say but to not acknowledge uh, the beauty of my country and my culture. Uh, I would say that it's thanks to. Uh, the inclusive nature of our culture that I have come by this feeling, which of course has gotten validated by my uh, out of the ordinary experience.
1: <laughs> How did Air Force happen? Uh, what what was some of the early you know schooling or were there any beliefs or realizations early in your life? Take me through some of some of those, Rakesh.
0: Um, You know, there was not, we didn't have any relative in the armed forces, uh, both from my father's side or from my mother's side. Um, But we had a cousin, my mother's cousin, actually, uh, who was in the Air Force. And at that time, we were in Hyderabad, and, and he was training to be a fighter pilot. And I was all of five years old, and and uh, he used to come home. Uh, of course, for me, he was just another person. I hadn't yet made the connection till he uh, uh, once took me during his uh, passing out parade, and he sat me inside a Vampire aeroplane. And and then those aircraft did a fly past, and it was the first jet-engined aircraft in the Indian skies, and the whistling sound captivated my imagination and when I sat in the cockpit and I saw all those dials and stuff and, and I was hooked for life and so so that that's how I got into into the Air Force and right at that age I wanted to fly one of those machines and um, of course we lost him two months later in an air crash and that made my my passage uh, a bit difficult from the point of view of parental approval of the choice of career but uh, ultimately it worked it worked out so uh, I was motivated right from then and uh, it happened (laughs)
1: Uh, take us through uh, the milestones and the journey to actually uh, going in the space And, you know, I I know you get this question asked very often, but it would be nice to see through this, your lens, instead of listening to someone else.
0: Yeah, uh, so, uh, you know, when these questions come, and I'm constantly fighting against uh, conveying the true picture, and usually what happens is that the media Paints such a larger-than-life image of, of a person uh, that um, it, it becomes very difficult. Uh, in fact, you don't sound credible when when you tell folk that you know it. Don't don't believe all that. Um, and and if I, but it made me look inward when I tried to analyze why people react the way they do for something which, as far as I was concerned, and as far as most uh, of my colleagues who've been up into space, uh, for them it's just a job, it was uh, their professionals, they were selected, they were given a job, and, and well, I was just like them, and I, and once that is over, you, you want to get on with your life. So. That's where it was, but then when they asked me all this, and when I think back, well, I was a, a rather uh, uh, average student, uh, in the sense that uh, I could be good when I wanted to be, uh, um, and of course, there was a great amount of pressure because my mom, who was a teacher <laughs> so and uh, so I had to really. Keep coming up to her expectations. Uh, I didn't succeed very often, <laughs> but uh, I was very fond of the outdoors, and I was very fond of, well, dreaming, uh, and of course, always imagining, getting airborne, uh, without realizing that it takes it takes some doing. Uh, at least you've got to be scholastically, you go got to learn all the, the technical stuff. So, so that, that came later, uh, that realization. Uh, but since one was motivated and it, that was a path one had to traverse, uh, so that is what, uh, that's how I did it. But uh, going back, there was nothing extraordinary. I was never extraordinary. Uh, yes, whatever I wanted to do, and if I put my mind to it, I would. But like any other kid, uh, I was prone to the distractions of growing up. So I was a very normal kid in that sense.
1: <laughs> you're, you're right about the larger than image, you know, life image that gets yeah. painted uh, but but there, there is clearly a reason I mean reason is uh, there is a certain fantasy there is a certain science fiction element to uh, going where nobody has gone and, and, and with nobody I mean people that we look around in our walk of life it has taken a long time you know <laughs> uh, so that's why it appears extraordinary uh, Do you relive those moments at all? Not at all. Not at all.
0: Because, well, to begin with, I never aspired to go up into space. And I didn't because we never had a manned space program. Which is not to say that I was not captivated by this whole business of space flight. I mean, I was a kid when Gagarin went up. I was, when was 60 61, 62 and uh, yeah I was in high school and of course it was a huge event as you may recall and if you absolutely what they eat in the morning, afternoon, evening, the menu and everything was documented and of course there was no television in those days so print uh, we devoured all that was written about it. Then came Life Magazine and those, those tremendous photographs, and so one had a fairly good idea, but never aspired because, you know, there, there's no way. Uh, we were just about getting started on our program and firing uh, sodium vapor <laughs> into space using American Nike Apache rockets. So uh, that was never on the horizon. So when it when it when the chance came. Of course, one was thrilled. And uh, so just just took that and then went back because even it's 35 years now and there's just about a, a man's space program is just about beginning. So in retrospect, I think my attitude to not live with that experience and, you know, when you start thinking too much about it, you start imagining stuff which is not there. So, I, I prefer not to do that.
1: <laughs> I'm sorry to be at it, still. Uh, if, if, if you, is there anything that stayed with you? Uh, it, it's like, even when I came up on this hill, right? If you ask me to stand on top, I look around, uh, I'll feel something. Uh, so, was there Anything like that for you? Uh, Was it a life lesson? Was it?
0: You know, let me let me let me just put it in perspective. You know, this whole game is so expensive that uh, when you're up there, each minute of your time is is like curated. Uh, You have to do stuff. You got to record the results. You got so there is really no time to put your nose to the window and watch the world go by. It's not that we didn't do that. And of course, one was greatly impacted. Although one had seen all the photographs that were there. uh, But when you actually see it, and then when you look at the scale on which things are, which again, you knew. uh, What I'm trying to underline is that you don't have to go up into space to come by that feeling. You know, you can get it right over here that we are a very insignificant part of this universe. And, uh, and you know, so, but to see it, to actually, in a way, experience it, because uh, the lack of gravity is, again, very, very unusual. and uh, And to be in that milieu and then come back, well, I've come away with the feeling that space is a great place to visit, but there's no place like Earth to live on which, again, brought various other thoughts that we need to protect the environment here. This is the only home we will ever have, and I've been speaking on these topics for the last 35 years. So that comes to you with a great amount of force, the uh, fragility of our planet, because it's suspended in, in space, and there's just vacuum all around. And, uh, you know, there there's nothing as far as the I can see, or as far as the Hubble telescope can see, there is no other uh, habitable place it it appears, of course we are now going to get uh, started on colonizing the moon and later Mars, uh, but that's in the future, and let's see how that pans out
1: yeah what you said about environment and and is is that where you've been spending most of your time over, like you said, over past three decades or something?
0: Well, you see, people want to listen to to what I have to say about space. Yeah. But when you have a captive audience, I think you'll be wasting the chance not to push in your own message, which I have been doing. So I give them a sense of what it takes to prepare for a space flight, to whet their appetites regarding that subject. But I I do steer uh, the conversation or my monologue uh, towards uh, sustainable living. Um, And I do try and paint a picture for them as to what can happen if you do not embrace sustainable living. Because we are living in a, on a planet that has uh, non-renewable resources. So if you're going to expend the resources faster than they can be replenished, then you're going to, you know, destroy the only place that can give you life. And uh, I think the crowd does resonate with it these are existential realities and uh, some uh, fundamental changes have to occur starting with the kind of economic model our world follows nowadays which is all based on -on quarter-on-quarter growth and profit and you know so it's it's a non-sustainable paradigm in an environment which is finite.
1: Yeah. And then that realization is very important.
0: Yes. Hmm. In the olden days, I mean, our older cultures used to live with nature. They used to respect nature. We, uh, whether you're cutting down forests, whether you're making veneer, whether you're selling whatever sells, unmindful of the collateral effect on the environment and the interconnectedness of the environment itself pollution doesn't stop at the borders so we are all uh, you know part of this story and there has to be a global realization
1: it it looks like There is realisation in in certain quarters or whatever we call it, but what is your idea of solution? Like, uh, how can individuals, families, societies do this, according to you? Well, uh,
0: it's a big problem. And the reason is that, uh, again, we have to go back to the economic model where we are talking of personal wealth to generate that kind of personal wealth. Because everybody is on growth quarter on quarter and more profits. Now, when that happens, people want to earn to get a better lifestyle, whatever that is. And that better lifestyle takes a toll on the finite resources of the planet. If you see what the West has brought us to where we are uh, from the energy standpoint and because of the per capita consumption of these finite resources. You've got three cars, you've got two members of the family, stuff like that. You've got appliances. Now, with the economic center moving eastwards, I fear that, and why is it moving eastwards? Because Now they have realized the environmental costs of that kind of progress, and so the environmental laws have pushed up the cost of their product and it has become unviable. So they've shifted production into geographies where the environmental laws are either lax or non-existent. So, And what does that do? Labor is cheap. So you you shift all your manufacturing here, China, India, and all the everybody's per capita income goes uh, grows because you have got jobs, and uh, and then you have disposable incomes, and then you have to what do we do? Because of the media and it's there's a free flow of information, the people, India and China populations combined are aspiring for the same kind of lifestyle which is there in the West. Can you factor in the environmental damage that will be done if the per capita consumption of energy, both for manufacturing as well as living, you know, keeps going up And you know, there are how many billions of us here so so we are looking at an environmental disaster, unless, of course, we we mend our ways. And you asked, how do we do that? Well, the United Nations Environment Programme is a body, unfortunately, it's about as effective as the United Nations itself. And then you have People like President Trump, who walks out of a climate change treaty. So you ask, how do we rectify it? I, I, I think we got to, whoever can do it, must start doing it and do their bit. It is like, it is like what good is it if I don't throw the wrapper? You do your bit. And you must do it now. Your kids must see you doing it. Your generation, next generation must follow that. I think they are a lot savvier than we are, our younger generation. And I, I believe that, I, I'm an optimist in, in that sense, but we must realize that we are looking at a serious situation.
1: So somewhere, uh, the things that you are pointing at, at there is a quenchless uh, thirst of the ma- mankind or man or human to conquer things right so space is just one frontier there's, there's so many other frontiers and right? there are talks of colonization of mars moon and, and so on and and everything that we see around us uh is, is 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 there a problem in 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 that itself uh,
0: well, yeah, there'll be a problem if if we do not learn from our experience on Earth, and if we don't fix what we have not managed to do here, and we have a similar kind of society there, then, I mean, you take Antarctica, right? We've, we've gone there. We've gone and drawn lines, saying this is my area, that is your area. And if you're going to be doing that on the moon and Mars, and I'm going to mine here, and what I get out here, I'm going to take back only for my people. So what happens is that conflict, but of course, first you've got to say, what is what is the reason? And poverty, how does that happen? It is inequity, uh, you know, inequitable distribution of wealth people are getting dispossessed uh, b- because the stronger does that, comes and uh, takes all your riches. And so if the same paradigm is going to go up there and, and whatever you get over there in, on Mars and on, on, on moon, then you're only be exporting conflict from Earth back in, uh, into the moon. So there are treaties in place. How do we give United Nations the teeth? So the, 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 there has to be a global consciousness that we are all in this together. This business of state. Can you imagine going for one and a half years, uh, zillions of kilometers away and then turning back and say, you know, I'm from Karnataka. You are from planet Earth, for heaven's sake. So let's start thinking like Earthlings. And, and our, it's our existence. Tomorrow you're going to have an asteroid come and hit planet Earth. We are all at risk because our Earth rotates. We don't know which country is going to be in the line of. And in any case, the environmental damage with an asteroid hit is global, going to be global. So, today we have the technology to go out there and deflect that asteroid. So, if we can collaborate and ensure ourselves against that kind of possibility, then if we can collaborate and cooperate to secure a future, why can't we do that to secure our present?
1: very important point you made about us thinking like citizens of the earth. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> just to shift gears. For, for someone, again, I'm, I'm sorry to be keeping at it. Uh, you keep uh, quite an extraordinarily low profile. Uh, there was I, I, Much before I started preparing for this conversation, I read somewhere about the biopic... Uh, why why do you keep this uh, profile Rakesh I don't need it
0: you take you take you take a celebrity take an actor I mean his future depends on being in the face of the audience that's his job It has to be popular. I don't have to be popular. It's not as if I'm a recluse and I don't interact. I go to IITs, IIMs, wherever I believe I can add value. Adding value is sharing, adding value is conveying, adding value is hoping to make an impact, providing a different perspective. And if I'm doing that, I mean that's all I I care about.
1: Yeah, very unassuming. I would definitely say that.
0: <laughs> I find that if you if you remain authentic, that is just just be who you actually are. I find you don't have to carry any load at all. You don't have to act. You don't have to posture. It's very liberating. You know, marketing guy can't do that. He's going to sell the product. Stuff like that. I I, I don't have to do it. But it doesn't, it isn't as if. uh, That if I start doing it, that I will enhance my impact. I don't think so.
1: Do you think so? No, I completely agree with you. But you think, something like a biopic will change that?
0: A biopic, you know, it's been going on for 10 years. And for the first three years, I wasn't keen on it. Because I do believe this. (laughs) Anyway, let it go. (laughs) But, uh, okay, so, if some more youngsters can get inspired by it and want to take up a career in space sciences, be all to the good of for the country. So so it's, it's from that angle that I decided to share my story.
1: You know, you now you made a very, again, very, very interesting point. And that's what I was coming to. Uh, space has passion and space as a field which attracts some of the brightest students uh, professionals in the country for example. What do you make of that? Uh, What do you think should we be doing more uh, to to create this you know next generation of great space uh, not just enthusiasts but professionals?
0: Yeah so uh If I look back, and if I had not sat in that aeroplane when I was five years old, I'm wondering what my life would be like, Uh, you know. uh, So, exposure would be number one. Whether you want to expose the children during their curriculum, uh, videos, shall we say, of space or, you know, get in touch with the first-person accounts or say a movie or uh, trips to Sri Harikota while a launch is going on so let them smell the kerosene and and that would be impactful and it would generate the passion and I for a career in this line if you want to excel you better be passionate it's not a nine to five office job. How do you keep that passion alive? Well, you've got to get hooked firstly. You must want to do it. Not that you want to do it because it's cool to do it. If it's just that, that'll die. But you must want to do it. You must want to reach that level. You must want to aspire. reach a level and be one amongst those professionals for whom discharging the function well without mistakes is everything not money not recognition not anything that's the true stamp of a professional so if you want to be that kind of a guy then you better have passion because that is what is going to keep you invested when the going gets tough.
1: Have Have there been failures, Rakesh? Have there been uh, mistakes in in your life, in your career? Uh, uh, what What did you do?
0: Mistakes, in the sense that, you know, I I must tell you that I'm blessed. Uh, I'm I'm extremely lucky in the sense I got a chance to do everything very early in life. Uh, I was barely 22 when the Air Force decided to run an experiment and we had just got the MiG-21 supersonic aircraft and and they said, let's see, let's catch guys young. Hmm? And I got a chance because it's just that I happened to join the Air Force at that time. And before my 23rd birthday, I had flown 21 operational missions in the 71 war. So that's luck. Then I got a chance, I got selected for the test pilots course. And despite not being all that good in in, in my academics, I managed to become a test pilot. And how test pilot? At, at such a young uh, seniority, because the uh, uh, India wanted to start a, an aircraft development program after the Marut, so they said we need test pilots who are going to remain productive. For so let's catch them young. So here, here it was again, and because I was a fighter pilot and a test pilot, and and I was always fond out of outdoors, and I was fit and I was young. And when this chance for going to space came, well, there I was. So things have happened to me. So I don't know. I wouldn't like to uh, give much gyan because there's a fair amount of luck in, 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 in all of this. The only thing I can probably say is that once you take on something, you bloody will finish it. That should be your... Yeah, otherwise you'll keep flitting from this to that to that to that like is happening in the corporate world going get stuff here laterally move somewhere else
1: Hmm. but keeping at it uh, it, it's not just persistence because you are tested a lot and that's what the point about failures is because you keep failing at something then you don't know when to give it up You see now, failures are of the type where things
0: are disastrous. I think that a failure is also you have set the bar for yourself and you haven't met it. That is also a failure for me. It depends how you look at failure. If you're going to constantly strive get what you've set for yourself and if you fall short then you will improve yourself, right? So I would say even that is a failure. So baki rest gayi baat failures during training obviously in the sense that you've made mistakes during combat and that's that's part of the learning. So I will not really put that down as, as, as a failure. So that is just a learning experience. But yes, as a test pilot, I've uh, had the ch- had the chance of ejecting from an aeroplane because the engine packed up. And I and also, you said, how do you remain invested? Well, we had started the light combat aircraft Tejas project. And uh, as a, as an air warrior, uh, if you can take part in a in an operation, uh, which I did as Indopak War for a test pilot, being involved with an aircraft development project is really what every test pilot aspires to be. So I got that chance as well. So when you get a chance like this, it's so easy to remain invested because you're so lucky to be where you are. <laughs> you you tighten the belt further and you know, you achieve you make sure you don't, you don't screw up.
1: Is that why a mission like Apollo 13, uh, you know, it, it, it sounds more convincing, you know, when they call it a most successful failure, but there's a lot of learnings there, right? Of course.
0: because You see, that's just the thing. And that's the other thing why I play it down. Everybody goes gaga at an astronaut, but it's the tip of the iceberg. Look. The support system below you. Apollo 13, you brought that up. Most successful failure, yes. But who were the guys slogging on the ground? How was that situation retrieved? Look at the, you know, innovation that went on in real time. It's not that the astronaut only. It's everybody else. Look at the space shuttle. The very thought of mounting the space shuttle on top of a Boeing. The thought of You know, getting it up and then landing it on the ground and reusing it. I mean, these are, these are big, big innovations.
1: Not individual.
0: Yeah, it's never individual. Never individual. Individual hoga, Paul Walter, uh, you know, Mark Spitz, Tindulkar, for his records. But when it comes to, being number one in ICC rankings, the whole team.
1: On a, on a more final note, uh, and I'm loving this. Where you are <laughs> in this setting. <laughs> yeah, why don't I ask you this? Why are you here? <laughs> why Kunur and? Well, one is that
0: uh, I was overexposed in the plains. I was too accessible for everybody. So here there are a lot of, lot of, I don't know how you've taken the trouble of coming, not everybody does that.
1: You need to do a better job of making this stuff accessibility.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so, 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 so that's your answer. Uh, no, apart from that, I love the hills and uh, I came here first when I was a kid. Uh, I finished my senior Cambridge and my uncle was doing the staff course. So I came and spent some time with him and I I just fell in love with the place. And I decided then that I'm going to settle here. God has been kind.
1: Luck as well, like you said.
0: Absolute luck.
1: How would you like to be remembered?
0: Uh, I won't like to be remembered.
1: Not at all? No. A lot of people talk about their legacies, their...
0: I've just tried to live my life as I believe a human being should. And I am happy. I have no regrets. And that's it. That's, that's all that matters. I'm not looking for a statue or... Why do you remember? Gandhiji said a uh, let my life be my message. It doesn't, isn't it wonderful? So, whatever I'm sharing, part of it through you, that's all. Nobody takes anything away. We don't. So why do you want to leave anything behind? Who does it belong to anyway?
1: Fascinating. I mean, what I mean is... I now see value in why <laughs> you are the way you are.
0: <coughs> we, I try not to complicate my life.
1: <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay. Sign off. Any key life lessons that you you feel you've learned? That. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Uh, like anybody else when I look at a daunting challenging task my first reaction is that hey I will not be able to do this at each stage during my flying career when I've gone from slow to medium to faster to supersonic aircraft at each stage I felt my god this is too fast there's no way I can hack it but when you actually get into it, you find that things are not half as difficult as you imagine them to be. So, when opportunities come your way, don't get intimidated. Of course, be prepared that you might not hack it. After all, the, as a kid, when one went for the selection, there is something called a pilot aptitude test. Now because it's a pilot aptitude test if you flunk it once you'll never ever make a pilot in the Indian Air Force. So there's a tremendous amount of pressure on you at that time. So if you have it, you have it. If you don't have it, so you approach it like that. You can't prepare for something like that. Similarly, when you're doing test flying the best you can do is your best. You can read up all there is to read up. You can de-risk. You can, But you signed up for it. You're on a bound to go and do it, even if you're scared shitless. But you go and do it, right? As... And you do it as well as you can. It doesn't work out. It doesn't work out. That's part of the landscape, which you have chosen to be in. So, these are all the life lessons that never back off. Failure is, is, is not everything, it's not the end of the world. Though, let me be frank that I've been lucky, I have already explained to you. So, I, I shouldn't trivialize it either. Pressure is something which we bring upon ourselves. We should give it a bash. It's like that. So, and of course, just be yourself. So when I returned uh, after the space flight, of course the whole country had gone mad in the sense that the kind of impact it had had. I've had aged women touch my feet as if I've come from, you know, Kahase se I've had people pulling at my shirt wanting to get a piece of fabric you know that kind of adulation and uh, strangely it angered me and I couldn't handle it and uh, plus at the same time I was aware that I was expected to share I mean I At that stage, I couldn't be like Buzz Aldrin yelling at everybody to get off. So, I happened to be in Chennai when Jiddu Krishnamurti was visiting and he was giving a talk. And of course, I was reading him uh, for years before that. And I wanted to go and see how the man, you know, actually up against my image of him. And so, after his talk, I requested for an audience. I was given 15 minutes. That interaction went on for an hour and a half. And then he invited me to walk with him on Adyar beach. And during this time he says, what's bothering you? So I told him, this is what is bothering so he explained to me that people are responding to the image the media has created for them. They are not responding to you per se. And that lifted such a weight of me. And that is what pointed me in the direction of being yourself. So if you can be yourself and not feel that you have to measure up to some image of somebody else who has of you. I think that's liberating. It's very liberating. And it frees up a lot of energy for you to do other things. So this has been another, another learning. I think that's the key. Be yourself. Otherwise you can get into all sorts of
1: complications. It's good note to sign off. It's such a pleasure talking to you Wing Commander Rakesh Sharma. Thank you sir. <laughs> Amazing experience. Thank <laughs> you so much.